This is a podcast from Minute Media. everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where all I have for you is a gesture in combination with a word. Tenet. No, just kidding. It's LeBron James. Use it carefully. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. So whether it's past LeBron, present LeBron, or future LeBron, they're all one and the same, moving backwards and forwards in time to chase down block or posterize your ass into submission. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and obscure reference to Christopher Nolan's confusing, time-warping, time-bending movie, Tenet notwithstanding, with the help of the king, it seems like the Lakers are slowly but surely working the kinks out, because as they all say, you have to learn how to crip walk first before you can run. (laughs) This is a really weird intro. Oh my goodness, that was fantastic. I like totally, I totally forgot what I wrote, so I just kept reading it like Anchorman style, and I was like, where the hell is this even going? But that's that's where it went. Um, I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, and Tommy, your thoughts on crip walking and on present and future LeBron outrunning young buck Jalen Green in transition and throwing down a two-handed mini windmill reverse. The LeBron play is like low, going to be like low-key one of these plays that it's like probably one of the top plays of the season so far for any team. It's like he makes it look so easy that you forget, oh yeah, this dude is like 36, 37, you know, going on 37 years old. And Jalen Green is known for being like probably the best athlete of the draft, you know, of the most recent NBA draft. And uh, LeBron was pulling that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Very impressive. Yeah, but what about crip walking? Crip walking important to incorporate into the Lakers offense this year. We need more swag, dude. Frank We Vogel need more swag. Says. Indeed. And I think the Lakers have like 2 and 0 since that happened. Anyways, uh the Lakers are currently 4 and 3. They probably should be 6 and 1 if they just hadn't let their big third quarter leads against the Golden State Warriors and Oklahoma City uh if they hadn't squandered those big leads. And actually, if you think about it, Phoenix is the only game in which the Lakers didn't have a, a double digit lead in the second half, right? So in spite of all the injuries, lack of cohesion, etc., I mean, you put it into context and get, add a little perspective. The Lakers are kind of doing okay in relation to where they're at in the season, given all of those caveats with what they're dealing with. So for this episode, Tommy, though, let's once again talk about Carmelo Anthony, because our last episode, we highlighted Carmelo Anthony, and I kind of felt bad because I felt like we jinxed it, because that game right after we released the episode, I think he was like, Oh, of four against the Spurs. And I know. The next night yeah, he was yeah. one of eight, and then he airballed the potential game tying three. And I was like, "Oh God, I guess you can blame us." There but then go. he rebounded and uh, pretty much revived every glowing thing we had to say about him the last episode. Because holy crap, six of eight against the Cavs, he hit another five of eight from three point land on Sunday, and he has just been a freaking flamethrower. He is. Okay, so to put those numbers into context of what Carmelo's done this year, 
Last year, Carmelo Anthony had three games in which he hit at least five threes. He's already had three games in which he's hit at least five threes this season, and it hasn't even been 10 games. That's nuts. He is shooting 68% from three at Staples Center, 23 of 34. He's averaging 17 points in just 26 minutes, shooting 50% from the field, 52.2% from three, hitting 3.4 a game. And this is all while having a 1 of 8 get from 3 game on the road versus OKC and an 0 of 4 from 3 game versus the Spurs. If he just shoots average or even below average in those two games, his overall 3-point percentage would be in the high 50s, okay? Um, you've probably, you guys have probably seen the stats. He is currently, at the time of this recording, NBA leader in catch-and-shoot threes. He is 4th in 3-point percentage at 52.2% behind Seth Curry, Eric Gordon, Kemba Walker. With Kemba being the only only player out of those three who's made more threes than Melo at a similar clip. So he is like right in line with Eric Gordon and Seth Curry, but making way more threes and has higher volume. Um, he's seventh in the league in three-pointers three made, average three-pointers made with 3.4. And he's also 97th percentile in spot-up attempts. So Tommy, just your thoughts on the Melo renaissance that's been happening again this past weekend. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredibly incredibly entertaining to watch. Uh, for all you know, the past few years we've had all this like really horrific shooting, and we haven't had. I, you know, I used to say it all the time. Like, the Lakers have a bunch of guys who are good three point shooters. Not a bunch, but we had a few guys who were good three point shooters. KCP was a good three point shooter. He had forty percent. You know, solid uh, shooter from that range. Kuz, you know, obviously inconsistent, but when he was at his best was for his size, a decent enough three-point shooter. Um, uh, Marcus All was a decent enough three-point shooter, but I always used to say, like, you know, the Lakers need, like, a flamethrower. That's like when you play on these LeBron teams, you just need a guy who is going to be catching a lot of open pass, you know, open open, uh, shots, and has all the confidence in the world to make those shots. LeBron has historically played with guys like this, J.R. Smith, obviously a famous example when he was with Miami. Ray Allen is one of the greatest shooters of all time, so maybe that's like a bad example. But, you know, he's played with guys who, and Vogel actually alluded to this, and I thought he put it quite well when we um, when we did the like the early season press conferences. Vogel described, like, you know, when talking about Carmelo kind of said, there are guys in the league who maybe catch a pass from LeBron or Russell Westbrook and the ball feels a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. And Carmelo is like not one of those guys. He will, you know, is willing to take any shot anytime. Um, you know, it, it's just like a true veteran. Uh, it's always been like, I mean, he's like top 10 NBA score in NBA history. Right. So he's like an amazing, had an amazing career. Um, and to see it all kind of come together now in it's funny, right? Cause like it, it feels like Dwight a little bit uh, from a few years ago in the sense of like, yeah. you were imagining what is the best case scenario and the best case scenario looked pretty good, but what were the odds? The best case scenario was going to work out. And then it did. And it sort of feels like that with Carmelo now. Like, yeah. Best he, case scenario for Melo was Olympic Melo, right? And exactly. Kind of getting And that. he's like exceeding that. And it's not even just the results. The results are one thing that's obviously phenomenal. And you know, I guess my take is the results are probably going to regress at least a little bit. Sure. But it's about how he's getting his shots, what he's doing with the ball, 
I mean, this dude is like catching and shooting. Like most of his shots are catch and shoot. Um, large majority. I mean, it's like average time holding the ball is like under two seconds or something absurd mm-hmm. like that, right? Like Clay Clay Thompson s. Yeah, like all his shots are threes. Of course, yeah. He look. It's a it's a basketball game. Like eventually, he's going to take a shot that's not a three, and we can't crucify this dude, right? He's he's hitting those too, and he's hitting those too. So, you know, it, he's not like. He's only playing, he's not playing 35 minutes a game. Like, even despite his absurdly hot shooting, Frank is limiting him appropriately. When he's like, when defense is struggling, we're pulling him out of games. Um, it's going as well as it can go. And it's a small sample size. It's It hasn't been a ton of games, but I'm, it's just like, it's been insane to watch and, and very entertaining. Yeah, like you said, defenses are going to catch up to how Carmelo Anthony is shooting and it's going to regress. But given his... The high clip that he's on right now, I mean, if he can make it to, what, last year he shot 42% with Portland, he's getting the most wide-open looks he's ever had in his career off of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. It's not insane to think that he could be 45%, you know, at the end of the day, and it's just ridiculous to think about. Uh, I have some historical stats that put what Carmelo Anthony's doing into perspective a little bit. And again, it's only been seven games, yada, yada. But in Lakers history, who do you who would you guess has the all time highest mark in three point percentage for the Lakers? Percentage? Um... I can tell you the, these are not like random players. These are actually players who rotation guys and actually were three point shooters. So, are they like modern era? Yeah, it's not like Mike Penberthy. You know what I'm saying? But um, percentage. Is Fisher up there? I don't know. You're going to have to tell me. Okay. It's not Fisher. Good guess. But it's actually Vladimir Radmanovich. Oh, Swagmanovich. <laughs> Swag, Swagmanovich indeed. So in the 2008-9 season, I think this was the season that we traded him, he shot 44% from three-point yeah. land, hitting 1.3 a game. Nice. Second is Steve Nash during the now this is going to be fun year. Uh... He shot 43.8% hitting 1.1 a game. Third, Sasha Vujicic, 2007 43.7%, hitting 1.6. Actually, pretty incredible. That's probably why we extended him after that. Um, yeah. And then kind of comparable, KCP in 2021 shot 41%, hitting 1.8 a game. I think he landed in like the eighth. Uh, he was number eight on that list. So right now, obviously, Melo's on pace to contend for the top spot at a way higher volume of makes and attempts because he's making 3.4. So if you just put that into context, I mean... Cool, Vlad Rad shooting 44%. He's making 1.3 threes, right? Carmelo Anthony's shooting 52%, making 3.4 threes. And even given the regression and all that stuff, like I mentioned, it's not unreasonable to think that Melo can hit 45%, get to the top of this list, but also be hitting 2.5 to 2.8 threes, you know? So in terms of volume and percentage, the fact that Carmelo Anthony could end up being the highest Lakers 3.3 percentage leader and maybe just shooter in general in the history of our team and franchise it's just insane to think about now who do you think is the all-time lakers leader in three-pointers made not percentage just made probably kobe right he's kobe is two kobe is second is it fisher so kobe hit 180 in 2006 it is not fisher he is in the top 10 but number one on this list in terms of three-pointers made is van exel in the 94-95 season Hitting 183 threes, which is pretty impressive given the state of the game. The era was so different. Uh, To keep it into more modern era context, KCP and Kuzma are tied for seventh. 
Let's go. In 2017-18 with 159 three-pointers made apiece that season. So, okay. Carmelo Anthony is on pace to knock down 280. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, are you ready for this? Carmelo Anthony is on pace to knock down 281 threes if he averages three makes a game. So I even bumped it down from 3.4 and said, okay, if if Melo only makes three threes a game the rest of the season, he will have a total of 281 threes, and that would vault him to the top of this three-pointers made list as well. So probably not going to happen, but he has a good shot at beating Van Exel's 183, right? Yeah. If he stays healthy. Yeah. Crazy to think that he could be at the top of that list as well. Last interesting stat. In terms of the all-time NBA record for three-pointers made off the bench for a whole season, who do you think holds that record? And we've actually mentioned it on this show before. So this is the player who spent the entire season on the bench, and he made the most three-pointers off the bench in NBA history in a single season. Who is that player? Uh, Probably Ray Allen. No, it is actually Carmelo Anthony's teammate currently, Wayne Ellington, who oh, holds wow. the single oh, season actually, record. I, I do remember yeah. That. yeah, yeah. So Wayne Ellington currently holds the single season record for most three pointers made off the bench at 218 threes made. That's insane. Ellington that season averaged 2.3 makes. Carmelo's averaging 3.4 currently. And also Carmelo is on pace to knock down 281 threes. He's set to pass that mark and potentially blow past it. And even if Melo regresses to, let's say, 2.5 made threes a game versus the 3.4 he's making, he's at least going to be well above Ellington's mark of 218 if he stays healthy. And he would also then be all-time NBA record holder for three-pointers made off the bench for a whole season. Now, I know I'm potentially jinxing him by throwing all this out there, and they probably won't happen now, but just the fact that Melo's on pace to do this is incredible and insane to think about. And I hope he stays healthy for the whole rest of the season in order to chase some of this stuff in conjunction with the Lakers uh, winning in general. Any other things to say about that outside of holy shit? No, that is insane. I I guess, yeah, I'm I'm still like, look, we started the last season. I was talking to you about this offline. Last season, we were like top five in the league, three-point shooting as a team for the first. I mean, it was several weeks. It was weird because last season was all disjointed with the weird start times or whatever. But and t- certainly until we started getting injured, we were like top five, certainly top 10 in the league and in, in three-point percentage as a team. And, and we had all these episodes where we were going on and on about how like, yeah, we don't have like a sniper three-point shooter, but we have a guy, a bunch of guys who are good enough. And it seems like that's elevated us as a team. And that horrifically regressed. And we ended up being like, you know, bottom three or bottom five, certainly in three-point percentage. So I, I don't know that that, and look, we have better shooters certainly this year than we did last year, but I'm just curious to see to what degree all of this regresses. Well, it's crazy, right? And all of that holds true, and those are fair points. But when you actually think about Carmelo Anthony and the pedigree of player he is and a potential Hall of Famer, ninth all-time in the NBA, there are also reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's also reasons to be like, actually, this could hold up. And given the fact that he has never been this wide open before. Will defenses adjust? Of course they will. But hello, like Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook are rolling down the lane. You gotta, They're going to have yeah. to pick their poison in so many different ways. And so this is where I'll end like this first segment. I feel like the biggest thing Carmelo Anthony has done, just in terms of the context of this team, is 
you know, with every Frank Vogel season that we've, yeah, every Frank Vogel season we've experienced, um, getting on the same page defensively has been his priority, right? And that usually takes like that. That's the the biggest adjustment that any Frank Vogel team has to make, and because of that, the offense typically gets put on the back burner. And I feel like for once, Carmelo Anthony sort of is smoothing over a lot of offensive inconsistencies that we currently have while we work out the kinks on the defensive end, but also while we work out the kinks on the offensive end. And to me, like that's been, been his one of his biggest contributions outside of the obvious in terms of giving spacing to Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis and opening the lane up. It's like he's smoothing over this entire work in progress first few months for us, you know? And this was such, this is a luxury that we've never had as a team. And so while we're working the kinks out defensively, especially this season, because we don't have the talent, and so I'm sure Frank Vogel's like, oh man, I really got to get these guys in sync. Can you imagine if we didn't have Carmelo Anthony during this time? Like right now, he's smoothing over so much and he's actually making life easier and helping even a guy like Russell Westbrook, I feel like, transition better, right? G- gain his confidence as a playmaker because, woo, all of a sudden he can throw it out to Carmelo Anthony and he's going to hit that shot and all of a sudden it's like a a positive momentum avalanche even for the stars like LeBron James and Russell Westbrook because you have to think about the intangible effects of these guys being such elite playmakers, but in previous seasons they're throwing it to dudes who are not shooting it at the clip that Melo is, right? And so... To me, it's just like, wow, this is a great, Melo is providing us a foundation and base point with which we can bide our time a little bit, but also hopefully cling on to as we round the corner with our defense and round the corner offensively. But by that point, it's like Melo has helped transition even Russell Westbrook, you know, as he's struggling and open the lanes for him, like I've mentioned. But most of all, it's just like, oh, Russell Westbrook is a playmaker and Melo is helping in that avenue. And so to me, he's like the, the ultimate glue guy, the most lethal, fungible, offensive weapon that we have that makes any Frank Vogel defensive-minded lineup work. And he allows Frank Vogel to experiment all he wants with putting Avery Bradley in, you know what I'm saying? Dwight Howard, Kent Bazemore, whatever, because Melo is this constant spacing three-point threat, the likes of which we've never had on this team to this consistent a level. And I know it's going to regress. I know it's going to get inconsistent. We're going to have more of those road games sprinkled in, but the confidence and the confidence LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis have in this guy, that's not going to wane. And so in transition, even Melo gives us this angle that you talk about like seven seconds or less type offense. That doesn't work if you don't have shooting, right? That doesn't work if you don't have a shooter. Melo is that guy that makes the seven seconds or less like angle and identity that we want to impose effective and lethal. And then even in the half court, Melo is the ultimate safety valve and ultimate bailout guy for even guys like LeBron and Westbrook who, you know, besides driving it all the way to the rim or lobbing lobbing it up for a big, now they have Melo to throw it out to even when they're going out of control and leave their feet and find themselves stuck in a crowded lane. It's like, what a luxury it is to have Melo outside to bail them out too, you know? So any final thoughts on just Melo being this sort of like smoothing over glue that allows our team to, yeah, like work the kinks out? No, I mean, you're absolutely right. On a team that is bringing in like 12 guys who weren't on the roster last year, right? I know a couple of those guys maybe were on the roster a couple of years ago, but 12 
12 guys who were not on the roster last year playing a new offense, uh, playing with, you know, what many people regard to be the, the probably the most difficult superstar to integrate into an offense in, in Russell Westbrook, um, certainly the guard position. We have Carmelo Anthony has we're you know as of the recording of this podcast we're four and three Carmelo Anthony has won us like at least two games at least right mm-hmm. <laughs> of those of those four and it's because like you said it's like there's a lot of kinks that need to be worked out when you're putting together this type of roster and I mean I think you put it exactly right he smooths a lot of those over just because he's so innately gifted and you know. Shooting is shooting, and if you can get this guy open shots, he's going to knock him down, and that's what he's done. He's done it consistently, and it's just going to be dangerous, dude. I mean, it's like it's it's nice to also see him get off to such a hot start because eventually, right? This is still we're not even ten percent through this very long marathon season. Um, it's still preseason for a lot of teams. The Suns are two and three, as, of, as of, not even in the playoffs as the the recording of this, right? So there's a long way to go, but it's nice to see him start the season off this way because eventually the season turns, right? And you start playing in more games that do matter and do become more indicative of how things are going to go in the playoffs. And, you know, they talk about like, oh, we're going to be competitive. We want to win a championship, but you're going to start to feel it, right? When you like, for example, the the championship season leading into the pandemic lockdowns, we had like five wins in a row, which included wins against the Clippers, the the Bucks, the Celtics, like a bunch of marquee sort of wins in a row um, leading into that time frame. And, and that's when you sort of felt like, okay, this team now really believes they could win it. And we're going to hit that point too, right? And when we hit that point with this roster... We have a guy in a 37-year-old, you know, Carmelo Anthony, who's never been in this position. And so if he is off to a good start now, when he gets to that point where, like, he starts mm-hmm. to sense, like, actually, this is something that could happen for the first time in my career. I might be an NBA champion. And truly, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, but, like, truly cement myself as a true Hall of Famer in the NBA, um, you know, with a, with an NBA championship ring, like... That is going to be insane. It, you know, imagine yeah. this, like, but him even elevating himself even further. I'm I'm pretty excited to see what happens uh, with that stuff. I mean, we saw it with playoff Rondo, right? Can you imagine it with a guy who can actually shoot the shit out of the ball? And who's never and who's never won before it. Right. Here's my here's my comp for Carmelo Anthony. Imagine him in the Ray Allen role during his last few years with the Heat, right? Yep. Also with LeBron James. Nuts! crazy all right with that said we're gonna take it to break and just close our episode out talking about the team and how it seems like they're starting to figure some things out and round into somewhat of a form with regards to the identity that they want to pursue and how frank vogel wants to inevitably rubik's cube and jigsaw these lineups um before we do that though i would be remiss if i didn't shout out carmelo anthony's defensive effort or improvement in that area because i know you know Melo stands notwithstanding and them saying that he's not that bad defensively he is okay especially on the perimeter but given all that i feel like Melo's done a good job of mitigating his lack of foot of mitigating his lack of foot speed and and movement on the perimeter by actually communicating on defense and helping guys get to their spots and also he 
I mean, the last game, what, he had like four blocks and two steals or something ridiculous like that. Right. We've already mentioned before his like good hands, and he's definitely utilizing that to his full advantage. And I think with a, some added effort on his end of just contesting a little bit more, you're kind of seeing like, okay, Melo's a bad defender, but when you can flank him with three to four other great defenders and he's actually trying, you can see why these lineups are producing some of the highest net ratings of any other lineup that we've thrown out there, right? Not even just not even just because Melo's shooting the hell out of the ball, but because, oh yeah, this is working defensively as well, and the one-week link in Melo is holding up, okay, most more times than not, right? So um, with that said, we'll take it to break, and when we return, we'll talk more about the team and close it out from there. We are back. Uh, some quick team stats. The Lakers are currently number two in pace behind only the Houston Rockets. That's pretty impressive. They are followed. Yeah, it's crazy. They're followed by the Golden State Warriors. For context, Lakers were 21st in pace last year. Now the Lakers are, yeah, now the Lakers are second. A lot of that buoyed by Carmelo Anthony's quick shooting and Russell Westbrook just driving into the lane like a Tasmanian devil. In turn, the Lakers are also 21st in the league in turnover percentage, so they have some cleaning up to do if they want to keep playing that quickly, but that's, you know, understandable. The Lakers are 13th in offensive rating and 16th in defensive rating, so they have a lot of room for improvement, but that's actually not that bad. Um, They are 5th in the league in scoring. And with regards to defensive stats, you know, obviously steals and blocks don't tell the tale of defense, but the Lakers are 3rd in blocks and ninth in steals. The area that they do have Im- have to improve upon is, Tommy, what, do you, what would you guess? Uh, rebounding? Yes. Yeah, so the, in terms of rebounding percentage, the Lakers are 21st in the league. Eesh. Last year, they were 9th. So there's a huge discrepancy there, even after having you know, gotten rid of Marc Gasol and brought in Dwight Howard. So it's going to take a collective team effort here. We lost some good rebounding guards, I will say that. that that's true. And we are still missing guys like Trevor Ariza and THT. Um, so quick hits before we get to just your thoughts on what you've seen from the team and any kind of like glimmers of progress that you've seen. Um, we did not pod after the San Antonio game on the road. That was a gutsy game and gave you a glimpse of Westbrook unshackled and kind of Westbrook at his best, right? As well as Anthony Davis, you know, gutting it out and playing a very gritty brand of basketball. But oh my God, I, don't, I haven't talked to you about this either. But that AD injury where he went down, <laughs> dude, my life flashed like before. Season ending, my, the way he reacted yeah, to no, that. It, it was like, so for, for a good five minutes, my, my girlfriend was like, what happened? And I was just like, well, our season's over. <laughs> yeah. This is now, this is going to be fun, part two. I was like silent and sort of catatonic. And I was like, all right, well, that's it. And then he got back up and then he proceeded to finish out that game in very dominant fashion of the likes we haven't seen of Anthony Davis and the likes of which we've been trying to get Anthony Davis to channel more in terms of, oh my God, this is Anthony Davis beast mode, right? So it was kind of fun to see both Westbrook and AD, you know, channel that mode together. And then the OKC loss was just flat out embarrassing. But having said that, We've had the game against Cleveland, had the game against Houston, in which I feel like the Lakers probably showed their best defensive effort more consistently throughout a game, even though they did let the Houston Rockets back in. But from your end, what are some positives that you've seen from the team and some hints of them maybe sort of starting to get things together, whether it be defensively or offensively? Obviously, Carmelo helps a lot of that out, but Frank Vogel has been using Avery Bradley more. 
maybe a sort of a, a template and placeholder for THT or like a buyout guy or a trade guy down the line. But I guess the obvious that I don't want to overlook here is, lo and behold, having LeBron James back helps tie, tie everything together. And him looking like he's still, you know, 21 years old helps tie everything together. But even LeBron James' return notwithstanding, and, you know, Westbrook Crip walking his way across the half-court line notwithstanding, what are some things that you've liked that you've seen so far? So one thing, which we have a small sample set of it of, as of the time of recording this, because we've only had one game where AD started at the five as of the time of this recording. I, you know, everybody talks about AD at the five as being like such an obvious move for us, right? And I don't just, I don't absolutely do not disagree. I guess one area that I always thought was kind of overlooked in that scenario was LeBron James is 36. Yeah, he has the strength to play the four. But how does he act? Does he, like, can he sustain playing the four over the course of a season? And I mean that mostly in, he is now, you know, in a position where, as opposed to having to kind of use his strength to body his guys on the perimeter, like, he is more of the last line of uh, defense at the at the basket, he gets switched on to centers, you know, because AD goes to help and LeBron has to box out or whatever. Like, how is that going to look? Um, one game sample size. So I'm not taking much from this, but he did it extremely well against uh, the Houston Rockets in the one game that he did it. Right. And, and if he is able to play like that at that level sustained for a significant portion of the season, it's going to be, I mean, it's just going to make a, a, a incredible difference for our team because that dude has like really, really good hands. He's super strong, um, really good at getting strips, knocking the ball away from people. Uh, I mean, he does it. He, you know, he's engaged. He does it all. He even had some rim protection where he was going straight up. I think he had mm-hmm. like a shot block with the offhand. You know, he goes yeah. straight up. He he's pretty good at going straight up, absorbing the contact with his body, and then lowering one hand to kind of swat the shot away. So. You know, if 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 we can get him engaged at that you know level, that that's something I've it's kind of been encouraging for me to see. Granted, with the small sample size, and and I think that energy of seeing Le- a guy like LeBron, you know, play that level of defense, uh, it really energizes the rest of the team too. Because if he's able to do it and carry your entire team offensively then what's your excuse kind of thing, you know? Well, also, with regards to transition, he's one of the team's best rebounders, right? The fact that he can just grab the ball and then exactly. race it down court, and it's not just Westbrook hoping somebody else also is fighting with him to get the boards. It's crazy. I mean, this is not rocket science. Adding LeBron James to your team helps you win, but it's like, it just, it's so jarring, right? When you're like, oh, yeah, you get one of the best, like, playmakers of all time and transition players of all time on your team at that size, and it kind of just connects everything together. But outside of that, you've made this point before about how, you know, as well as Austin Reeves has been playing, we're sort of seeing a vision of Austin Reeves is giving you the template for what can work if you just have a guy who hustles on defense and rotates and is scrappy. And it doesn't even need to necessarily be Austin Reeves, right? But along the same lines, you're getting that from Avery Bradley too, right? Like these are not, I mean, Avery Bradley has his accolades defensively. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to throw shade or like downplay what he's done, but it's like Frank Vogel is almost using these two as examples to hopefully the other guys. And I'm talking namely about like THT and Kendrick Nunn too, who are injured. And also maybe Wayne Ellington, if he wants to get some playing time, but he's almost using 
Avery Bradley and Austin Reeves as like the his teacher's pet role models to be like, you want playing time on this team? Just do the basics of what these guys are doing. And I know it's easier said than done, but like even for a guy like Malik Monk, who's lost so much time recently because he just can't hold up defensively, he should be using Avery Bradley as the ultimate aspirational template that he should want to get to in his NBA career if he wants it to be long, you know? Where it's like, be active Get your face up in these guys. You see even a guy like Bazemore, he's still playing 28 minutes a game just because he can hold up defensively, right? He's cut off all of the like KCP over-dribbling antics and is just taking baseline three-point shots. And it's just really cool to see if THT improves defensively, if Kendrick Nunn can bring that grit defensively. It's like if Avery Bradley and Austin Reeves are already doing this for us, our ceiling can be so much greater if the other guys who are set to come in buy in as well. And in general, if we get like new guys off the buyout market or trade market, right? Because again, like Avery Bradley, Austin Reeves are showing you the very baseline level of what this team can do and get to if guys would just buy in defensively, right? Anything to say about that? Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. The reality is a lot of guys who are playing now, including Bradley are probably not going to be in the rotation once we get guys healthy. So I think you're right that, you know, it's like we, we unfortunately don't have these guys healthy. So we have to, we're going to get a look at some point of, you know, what, what, what do these guys all look like when they play together? But it's almost like Vogel's kind of getting his like diligence in now. Like what is, you know, LeBron, Westbrook, Anthony Davis lineup look like with a third guy who's maybe not the best scorer, but like can provide some defense, you know, thinking of THT when he comes back. And, and so I think that, I think you're exactly right. I think that's what they're doing at this point. And, and yeah, Avery Bradley is not, I think, you know, maybe I've said on this podcast before, I, I, he's a solid defender. He's certainly better than some of the guys that we have on the roster, but he is to some degree, an example of like, you know, activity maybe being more than actual results. Like he is super, super active. Maybe not necessarily if you look at like some of the analytics and advanced stats, like actually like an elite defender, Um, but you know, at least average league average. And, and so, uh, you know, having guys out there kind of energizes everybody else. You need a few guys like that on a team like this. And although Avery Bradley is a veteran, uh, he's willing to give us that effort and energy and, and, you know, maybe, and, and clearly the hope is that it, it elevates everybody else as well. Yeah. And he's so in your face about it, that it becomes such a jarring contrast to what you're seeing from like, you know, Malik Monk getting blown by and not even, and dying on a screen and not even, you know, giving a second effort to try and contest. Right. Um, with that said, like before we close this episode, a quick Russell Westbrook temperature check from you. What have your thoughts been on him? He's slowly starting to find a groove. He had 29 and 8 the last game, even hit two threes. Um, especially along, I mean, you know, the fit with LeBron is always going to be sort of wonky. And you mentioned it even before the season began that you're interested in seeing Rus- what Russell Westbrook and LeBron James look like apart from each other. And we have seen instances of that. So I think the combo of the two together will continue to be a work in progress. But again, with mellow in the lineup, smoothing things over. They look a lot more compatible, um, and especially in transition, right? But what are, what are some things that you've seen that you've liked from Russell Westbrook? 
Uh, so I really liked his activity actually defensively. I feel like he's putting forth a lot of effort on that end. Um, I really like what he's done as a rebounder. Like Russ is more of a defensive rebounder, and he's not... I wouldn't say he's the most fundamentally sound rebounder, but he is kind of rebounding with more of the mindset of LeBron of like, I want to rebound so I can push the ball immediately without having to catch Mm -hmm. an outlet pass. But it's still a dynamic that's needed on this team, whether or not he's like always making the right block out is one or box out is one thing that like, he's at least seeking rebounds on the defensive end, which is helpful for this roster. Uh, I've liked his attacking the rim, which, you know, after starting the season with, you know, not the best two out of his first three games, at least I'd, I'd have to look at the game log, but at least two out of the first three were not the best efforts, uh, offensively. Um, he's attacked the rim a lot more and gotten himself higher percent, uh, percentage looks. He's 44. He's getting, he's getting swaggier with the finishes too. It's like all-star Russell Westbrook. Like, Oh, that was a tough shot. And you made it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, he's shooting 44% of the field. If he, uh, from the field, if he just limits his shots to only like, he can take exclusively tough finishes and that would be fantastic. Uh, he's attempting four threes a game, only making one. So he's shooting 25%. Look again, I put this in the category of, if Russell Westbrook hits 30%, you know, let's say like last season, he made 1.3 and 4.2 attempts or the, you know, maybe a couple seasons ago, 1.2, 4.4 attempts, something like that. Like it's about 30% from three, but he is like pretty much exclusively taking corner threes. That's fine. We can live with those four shots, you know, a game. And I just think that his stroke it's so odd. I mean, like, he's got some sort of basket. And it's like, we knew this, right? Just watching him as a NBA fan for the last 13 years or whatever. It's like Chandy Brown. Yeah, it's like, he, it's almost like he gets the yips or something. Like, you know, baseball pitchers. Like, he, he gets these weird, like, kinks in his mechanics. Um, because it's such a constipated shot, dude. Yeah. Like, he holds it so hard, and then when he releases it, that's why you get that, like, you almost want him to bank every it shot. Da- you do. You do. And maybe that's why he is, like, a relatively effective bank shot shooter, yeah. <laughs> you know, for, in this day and age, certainly. But, um. He just needs to be a reasonable threat to where, like, a guy has to think about coming over there. You know what I mean? And and if he can set himself up to where he's mostly taking his threes in the corner, because he's going to be a lot better taking threes in the corner, um, so far that's been the result, then, you know, I think he set himself up for a, a really nice season here. Um you know, assists have been great. The one thing he needs to cut down, and he knows this too, right? And it starts with everyone taking accountability, and even LeBron is taking taking accountability for this. Like, Westbrook's usage is not where it, it has historically been, right? Um, it's higher than maybe I uh, you might expect. It's 28.6 is his usage percentage. But still, that's the lowest of his entire career since his second season in the NBA. So it's the, wow. yeah, it's the lowest usage he's had in the last decade, but his turnover numbers are about the same as his career yeah. averages. So like those have to come down. I will say a lot of what, you know, his, his problems with the turnovers this year, a lot of them have just been like him figuring out his teammates and vice versa. Um, but because he's playing with LeBron and playing with AD, and it's not just like the Russell Westbrook show anymore. Like, 
he needs to get those turnovers down into yep. like the threes because like it, it, you know which he was doing in earlier in his career in OKC even though he was averaging quite a few assists at that time still but if he can get it down into the threes it'll just be so much better we can't be throwing away possessions uh you know on this type of team um but overall i've been happy with westbrook so far for a number three option you're not going to find a lot of guys who as they're integrating into your team who are giving you 18 9 and 9 uh, you know 1.6 steals um you know shooting a decent percentage uh not a lot of third options in the league are giving you that and the numbers are only going to go up in my opinion no yeah and so all the people saying we should have just traded for Buddy Heald instead. What if you have the 6'9 version of Buddy Heald and Carmelo Anthony and can still have Russell Westbrook? That's kind of what you're seeing. No, but to your point about the usage thing and Russell Westbrook having to be a little bit more judicious and selective, I think that's a great point because he had free reign on those Oklahoma City teams and even, even the Houston Rockets teams. And even with how fast we want to play this year, to your point, it's like, okay, we've already seen through the small sample size of this season like possessions are still very much important and we can't take these things lightly because a lot of his passes are just very like brain farty and like unforced turnovers type stuff. Not even like wacky, zany Russell Westbrook, you know, flip passes with his underhand or something, you know, it's just like him literally spacing out and making the weirdest choices, you know? And that includes like the pull up mid range jump shots in transition when you you had a guy like sprinting down the lane or you could have gone the full length of the court yourself right into a layup. So I think that's a work in progress. And to your point, you know, 18, nine and nine almost. I mean, people are going bananas over how DeJounte Murray is averaging those same numbers. And it's like, okay, so Russell Westbrook, right? (laughs) So, I mean, um, it's, it's going to continue to be a work in progress. And with what a unique player Russell Westbrook is, I mean, that's just naturally how things are going to be. And with regards to his three-point shooting, yes, I agree with you on the baselines. That's the perfect shot for him. Or even when he's coming off curls and he had that one three on the wing where he was wide open in movement and he just shot that confidently because he had momentum on his side. Those are the types of threes he should be taking and preferably after he's gotten a couple layups in him as well. You know, that those are the that, those are the times where it's like, all right, Russell Westbrook, shoot an open three. That's probably going to go in. And even last year, he had stretches where... You know, in January, seven games, 40% from three-point land, hitting two a game. March, 14 games, 38% from three, hitting two a game. It's like, I'm not even closing the door on us having some pretty hot Russell Westbrook from three stretches this season. It's all about, right now, he is just slowly kind of compartmentalizing things and first working on the passing, understanding his teammates better, etc. But I think it's slowly starting to come together, and it wouldn't surprise me if soon we have Russell Westbrook going on a little bit of a mini tear from three-point land where he's like two of four, three of five, three of six. You know what I'm saying? So... and you also just don't know like how he's going to react being on a team like this with so many veterans and guys he can look to uh, and, and actually take their advice seriously. So uh, this is yeah. going to stretch this point a little bit, but you know, like when we were when we first put together this team and this coaching staff, uh, and the, not this team, but the the current Lakers model with like this coaching staff and and the guys that we had back in the championship year, a lot of players commented. You know, ah, look, I've been a vet. I've been on a lot of teams. There's a lot of assistant coaches in this league where you don't really, you know, you kind of listen to what they're saying, but you, you can't, you don't know how seriously you can take it. And this team, we have like four head coaches are our coach. Um, and, and we listen to all of them. Um, 
I kind of put that Russell Westbrook in that category when it comes to other players on this team. Rajon Rondo is a really good example of somebody who was horrific as a three-point shooter. And it's so funny because he's now still thought of as like a really bad three-point shooter. But when that dude is left wide open and like does his little does his little like routine that he does where he like does a pump fake and goes into a shooting, you know, does his, his shot. Um, yeah. All in rhythm. Like he's a really, really solid, at least, at least average, like 35% shooter. And if Russ can get rem- remotely close to that, it'll be super helpful. Yeah, I agree with you. So, you know, uh, the best is yet to come with this team. And thankfully we've got a, a light schedule ahead of us still, and hopefully we can continue to gain some momentum and rhythm moving forward. Crossing fingers, no additional injuries, and THT and Kendrick Nunn get back soon. I think THT is on the mend. He's got his cast or whatever on his hand. I think it's coming off soon, and he'll be able to shoot soon. So that's encouraging. So with that said, we'll leave it right there. We'll catch you guys next time. And uh, yeah, go Lakers, go, go. Tommy, catch you later. Later. See ya. Peace. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.